Well, good morning again. Um, I'm Stephen, the pastor, and as Annette said, the election's in two days. And uh, if you're <laughs> alive, have a pulse, have your eyes open, like the run-up to the election's been crazy, hasn't it? I mean, absolutely nuts. I mean, it's chaos and it's conflict. Accusations, slander, half-truths. Um, it's awful and it's worse because of the media, both traditional and social media. They make more money when they can get you angry and afraid and polarized and intolerant. So some of us were really invested in the election and some of us want the election season to end as much as we want COVID-19 to end. And as people who follow Jesus, what should we do? Like, what should we do in the midst of all of this? We've looked at some of our values that were gospel-centered and we're growing in community. These are our church's first two values. And so if that's true about who we are, then what should this week look like? How do we make sure that the love of God is what fills us and comes out of us toward others this week? How do we make sure that we are building a community of grace and acceptance and encouragement to others? Well, today's message is called Jesus is King Before and During Elections. Okay, that's the message title because that's the reality that I'm hoping for us to rally around. And so to declare that Jesus is king before and during this election, I want you to do one thing. Okay, there's one thing that I want you to do. I want you to use your vote. Okay, I want you to use your vote. Now, before I talk about how I want you to use your vote, I need to expose a lie about your vote. Okay, politicians on both sides and the media that support them they are promising to give you the world. Like they're, they're promising to solve all your problems, to solve all the problems that are in society if you'll just vote for them, right? Your best life comes if you just vote for me, right? It's, it's, it's the answer to all your problems. And honestly, Honestly, when I think about this, when I hear it, it reminds me of the devil lying to Jesus in Matthew chapter four, uh, verse eight. Um, it's in your bulletin. If you want to look there, it says this, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will vote for me. Oh, wait, no, no, no. If you will fall down and worship me. Can I say this, friends? There is often a satanic exaggeration in political rhetoric. There are promises that can never be delivered. There are lies, it's, it's a lie. Like, I'll just, I'll fix everything if you just vote for me, right? They lie to us. And then, and then what's worse is that then they lie to us about the people who don't vote like us. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, are you with me here? They tell us that the people on the other side, right? Whichever the side is, we have people in our church. You have to know this. You need to understand this. We have people in our church who love the left and people in our church who love the right. 
Okay? We have a diverse, a politically diverse group of people. And so there are people in this church who think differently from you. And what politicians tell you is that the people on the other side are evil. They are ignorant or they're selfish. They're racist or they're authoritarian. Friends, this lie is pervasive and right now it's infecting our hearts. There are things that you think about people on the other side that aren't true. But Jesus disarms this lie by exposing it. In his response in Matthew 4, verse 10, then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And what Jesus is saying here is that the lie of the devil takes God off the throne in our lives. So, how do we get God back on the throne? How do we declare that Jesus is king before and during elections? Well, again, we do this by using your vote. And I want you to use your vote in three ways. First, I want you to use your vote to express your best effort. Okay? Use your vote to express your best effort. Okay, you need to realize, you need to come to grips with the reality that your vote reflects your best effort. It doesn't reflect perfection. Okay? If you don't have to hold your nose while you vote in this election, then you either have one heck of a write-in candidate or you haven't spent enough time acknowledging the brokenness of your party or your candidate. I heard someone say recently, I thought this was really good, they said that voting is not a sacrament. But we're, we get lied to. We, we were told that, that who you vote for determines everything about who you are. We're told that if you know who you vote for for president, then I know everything about you. And typically what I think I know about you is the absolute worst of the party that you are voting for if you disagree with me or the best of the party that you're voting for if you agree with me, right? Friends, this is lies and we are like we're caught up in this. But your vote is not a sacrament. It's not you laying hands on and fully affirming everything they do or everything that they say or their party says or does. Your vote is not an unqualified endorsement of everything a candidate or a person represents. It's your best effort to assess the leadership and the direction of candidates and parties. And then you combine that with your best effort to understand what God's word teaches, what's important to God, and what's best for our society. And then you vote. And it's complicated. It's complicated. This book is big. There's over a thousand pages in it. It's long. It talks about lots of different types of things and lots of different types of situations. There are things that are reflected in God's kingdom. It's God's kingdom is broad. It touches every aspect of life. And if you want to try to bring the entirety of the Bible to bear and you want your vote to reflect the entirety of God's word, then you better chase down a write-in candidate because neither candidate or party is reflecting all of what God says in his word. Both of the two major parties have good and evil in them. 
And so having Jesus as king means that you use your vote to follow what Jesus says in Matthew 22, verse 21. And this is a famous verse in some ways. Some people know this, um, but it says in, in Matthew 22, 21, it's in your bulletin, it says, then he, this is Jesus, said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So Jesus said this in the context of whether God's people should pay taxes, okay? Because paying taxes is supporting the government to whom you pay tax, right? So should God's people have supported the evil Roman empire, right? Should God's people uh, stand or support a country with an immoral, narcissistic leader? I'm talking about Caesar, um, or should they support sexual debauchery and the killing of unborn life? I mean, Jesus, should God's people support this empire by paying taxes? Like, that's the question. And what Jesus says is, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God what is God's. And the implication here is you have to pay your taxes, but make sure that in your life you are paying God by obeying him that you are rendering to God what God deserves and God deserves your allegiance, your ultimate allegiance and your obedience. And so use your vote. And remember, Jesus is not on the ballot. So use your vote to remember that the person or the party or the issues that you're voting for are not perfect. And so you shouldn't act as though they are. Your vote is your best effort to choose a mixed choice among mixed choices. And I want you to remember in this, the power of your vote is nothing compared to the power of your love for people. Okay, the bubbles that you fill in are nothing compared to how you treat people in your life. That's what it means to render to God the things that are God's. And so Jesus is king before and during elections when you know that your side isn't perfect and you're honest about that with Jesus, with yourself, and with others. So speaking of others, the second way that you should use your vote, okay? Here's the second way you should use your vote. You should use your vote to love people who disagree. Okay? Use your vote to love people who disagree. So when you vote, no matter how you vote, and you can look at this in all kinds of different, in all of the things on the ballot, um, you can use your vote and remember, you know what? The person I'm voting for, there are lots of people who disagree with me. There are lots of people who are going to vote in a different way than I am. And a big portion of those people are part of my family because they're part of God's family. Okay, there are people in our church family who disagree with the way that you either have voted or are going to vote. And the fact that you're voting, in the act of voting, I want you to remember, I want you to use your vote to remember that there are other people who disagree with you. There are other people who are voting in different ways than you are and you need to love them. You need to love the people in God's family, even when they disagree. 
And one great way to love them is to talk with them and understand them. Okay, there's this really neat passage in First, in first Kings chapter 18. This is in the Old Testament. It's in your bullet in the first four verses. It says this, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Okay, Elijah is kind of a famous guy from the Old Testament. He was a prophet of God. And what he had been doing up to this point was he was confronting King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, and he was calling down judgment on their kingdom. Okay, so Elijah is calling down judgment against king, the king and the queen, right? Then verse three in 1 Kings 18 goes on. It says, and Ahab called Obadiah, who was over his household, who was over the household, so who's Obadiah? Well, verse four tells us. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the, of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. So Obadiah is over the king's household. Obadiah, though, loves God and is working. So what, what would he see here? We see, we see both Obadiah and Elijah. They're both on God's side, right? Elijah's a prophet of God. Obadiah fears the Lord greatly. That means he honors God. It means he, he, he's following God. And he, even to his own risk, like when the queen says, kill all the prophets, Obadiah's hiding them. Obadiah's feeding them. Obadiah's keeping them alive. So he's taking great personal risk, right? So they both love God and they're both serving God with their lives. But check this out. Elijah is outside the administration, we could say, and he's calling down judgment on all the evils of the administration. Obadiah, though, is very different. Obadiah is on the inside of the administration, right? He's over the king's household. He's, he's a trusted advisor. And yet both, the one who's outside boycotting, calling down fire, judging, um, and the one inside who's working within, they're both serving God. Condemnation from outside, working inside to make things better. So what happens after verse four is that Obadiah and Elijah, they meet and they talk. So you can read what happens in their conversation, but even though they're in different places, even on different sides, they understand and they love each other because they're both on God's side. Are you with me? And so we need to do a lot more work to understand people that we disagree with. Doesn't mean that you come to the same understanding of how you should use your vote, but instead just ask, what is it that moves you to vote the way that you do? And listen, don't argue. You can ask a follow-up question. What aspects of Jesus's character are highlighted by the way that you vote? And listen, you might disagree, but try to get a sense of like, are they trying to follow Jesus? Because if they are, that matters. That matters. Who you vote for is nothing compared to the power of your love for other people. God's family is more important than your disagreements. 
Okay, we see this. If, if you want maybe one of the best concentrated areas to, to learn how God feels about what we should do when we disagree, Romans chapter 14 and 15 are a great place to go. Romans 14 and 15 are two chapters. It's really a chapter and a half that talk about how to disagree. Romans 14 verse one is in your bulletin. It says this, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So that phrase, weak in faith, let me just tell you what that means. The one who's weak in faith, that's the person who doesn't know as much as you do about politics, okay? Which is most of the people you talk to, I, I realize that, right? These are the, the weak in faith. That's a person who doesn't know as much as you do about politics. The person who doesn't get politics the way that you do. It's the person who has these like really simplistic, I mean, clearly they're just listening to the, the pundits. They're just, you know, parroting talking points. They really don't understand how life is. They really don't understand how politics is. They really don't understand how all of this stuff works. And so that person is, is weak in faith in the sense that they haven't really understood how to connect their faith in Jesus to produce a really biblically sound understanding of politics, Okay. They just don't know as much as you do. And so, what are you supposed to do with that person? Verse 1 says, you welcome them. You welcome them. You make them feel like they're part of God's family. And, and you don't, you don't put the screws on them about what you disagree about. You don't make issues of everything that you disagree about. Like, that's not what you're supposed to do. Verse one just says this, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So don't welcome him in so you can ambush him, right? That's not what we're supposed to do. You welcome them, you make them part of the family. Because guess what? When was the last time someone was a jerk to you and you were like, oh yeah, you're right, I'm wrong. Never happens, right? When someone's a jerk to you, you dig your heels in and you're like, look, even if you are right, I'm not going to admit it and I'm going to harden my heart against you because the way that you're talking is even worse. And Jesus is like, yes, that's how I feel. It's more important how you love people than how you vote. Like you might have come up with the system to take every single verse in the entire Bible and apply it to Tuesday's election and your ballot is like perfect. It's the perfect reflection of the unbelievably nuanced and multi-layered perspective of Jesus. But if you don't love people, 1 Corinthians 13 says, keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything to anyone because you're gonna ruin any kind of wisdom, any kind of reflection of who God is. You're gonna ruin it by the way that you talk and the way that you treat other people. Romans 14 says all kinds of things. Verse 17 then says this, for the kingdom of God, this is the reign of Jesus. You want to know how to make sure that Jesus reigns during this election, before this election. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So eating and drinking were the things that the early church argued about. These were the things that they, they just, they had all kinds of, we can get into it, it's, it's complicated. But the point that, that Paul is making is like separate from all of the arguments, man, and love one another. Talk about the righteousness of following Jesus. 
Talk about the peace that we have from God in the gospel that makes it safe for us to not necessarily have all the right answers, but to love each other even though we're different. And then the joy that we have in the Holy Spirit. This is what we're aiming for. Now, I realize that sometimes righteousness affects how you vote, and there are legitimate discussions that we need to have. There are conversations that would be really helpful to have. Um, I got to spend a week with one of my best friends, and he's different from me politically, and talking to him because he's safe to talk to, like, I realized that, man, I don't know anywhere near what I think I know. Like, I'm really good at parroting the talking points, even on both sides, but I don't really have a clue what's really going on. And I think that I'm right, but when I'm in a real conversation with someone who's smart, I'm not as smart as I thought I was. And so the end of all of this discussion in Romans 14 and 15 about how to, dis or how to welcome each other and not focus on disagreements is chapter 15, verse seven. Again, also in your bulletin, it says this, therefore, conclusion, sum total, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Man. Welcome, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you. Friends, how did Christ welcome you? How were you doing? Like Jesus has this, it's because of his love, it's because of his grace. He welcomes us just as we are with all of our faults, with all of our brokenness, with all of our ignorance, with all of our foolishness, with all of the stuff that we think we know and we don't. And Jesus somehow, like I really don't, like thinking about Jesus in this way stretches my own heart because he looks at us and he loves us anyways. Like he sees exactly who we are and he's like, you know what? Some of these things are gonna take some years to really work through but welcome to the family. I love you and I want you to know that I love you and I like you too. And this is how we're supposed to treat each other. And so Jesus cares more about how you treat other people in his family than he does how you vote. So use your vote to love people who disagree. And again, I'm just saying, every time you vote, if you have voted, when you vote, realize, hey, other people in God's family voted, are voting differently from me and I need to learn how to love them. Okay, last thing. Last thing, I want you to use your vote to remind yourself that Jesus is king. Use your vote to remind yourself that Jesus is king. Okay, breaking news for you. President Trump is not our king. Vice President, former Vice President Biden is not our king. Jesus is our king. Jesus is our king every day, today, tomorrow, even on Tuesday. And Jesus will be our king on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. If we know who wins, if we don't know who wins, if, this, if the world descends into utter chaos and confusion, because no one is going to accept the election results, Jesus is still our king. So use your vote to remember you're not voting for Jesus, but you have already voted for Jesus. You voted for Jesus with your life. You've given your total allegiance to Jesus, not to a political party, not to a candidate. 
We know that Jesus is king because Jesus was raised from the dead. Romans 1, verses 1 to 4, the beginning of the book of Romans. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which God promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, that's Jesus, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friends, presidents die, but Jesus has been raised from the dead. Jesus is the one that we follow. It's Jesus' resurrection. That's proof that he is king, that like, it's his life. His life was so perfect that God said, this one has to count for forever. And so the grave couldn't hold Jesus in. And so Jesus bursts out of the grave in eternal life. And so God is saying that Jesus is the life that you should follow. Jesus is the life that matters forever. And you can't forget this, right? And, and some of you know this, but I want to remind you. When you pray, it's the spirit of Jesus that comes and gives you comfort and encouragement. It's the word of Jesus that reminds you of how much God loves you and that he's with you and he's going to be with you in this. It's the spirit of Jesus that comes. No politician can do that. They can make promises and claims, but they can't do that. They can't hear you when you are crying out. Sometimes they don't even care, but Jesus does. I mean, only Jesus can give you a new heart. Only Jesus can change the things that you want so that you stop wanting things that can't satisfy and you build your life around the one person who can. Like only Jesus can give you a new heart. Only Jesus can forgive your sins, right? No politician can wipe away the treachery and the destruction that you have caused in your life to yourself, to others. The way that you've been an offensive presence to God, the way you've ignored him, only Jesus can wipe the slate clean because he gave his life for you. Like there's no comparison. Why would we ever ally ourselves with a party, right? And I, and I get it. Like I understand like it's, it's shorthand. Okay, I tend to you know, believe this or I tend to believe that or I tend to think politics would be better this way or that way. Like I get all that, but like we need to like step out of that and we need to realize that it's Jesus that has our allegiance. It's Jesus that we are voting for every day of our life and we're doing our best to try to follow him. And what that does is that says, all right, I'm going to vote. I'm going to use my vote, but I'm going to remember that I'm not putting my hope in what I'm voting for. In John 18, 36, this also is kind of famous. Jesus answered and said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. So Jesus' kingdom, it affects the world. We're trying to bring his kingdom, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We long for that. We long for that. But Jesus' kingdom is not from this world. And so Jesus has people who are part of his kingdom in every place. Jesus has people in both parties 
who are working toward his kingdom. And Jesus doesn't identify, he doesn't endorse either party. And so what do we do? Like, what do we do about this? Where do we go with this? Well, there's one last passage that I want to share with you. Uh, There was a time in the Old Testament when God's people substituted a human being for God as king. It was a time when uh, they, they asked, it's in the book of 1 Samuel, they asked Samuel for a king, for a human king. They wanted a human king. And Samuel's like, what are you talking about? You have a king. Your king is God. And they're like, no, 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 we want a human king so we can be like the other nations. And Samuel's like, you have a king, he's God. And they're like, yeah, 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 we heard you the first time, we want a king. And Samuel's like, this is terrible, this is awful, this is no good. And so when the people realized what they had done, here's what happened. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 19 to 25, it says this. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. So here they were just as guilty as we tend to be, right? When we put our hope in a party, we put our hope in a president, we put our hope in a movement, we put our hope in in an anything, right? We put our hope in these things and we put all of our allegiance in them. We take God off the throne and we put something else there. And so they realized they had done what we do. And they're like, oh no, Samuel, pray for us. Verse 20, and Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. And I I love that. I love that. This is like the joy of the gospel, okay? Because Samuel says, don't be afraid. (laughs) But then he doesn't hide the fact they did all this evil stuff, right? He doesn't mince words. He doesn't like shove it under the carpet. He's like, you've done this incredible evil. But he says, don't be afraid. And then he says, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And so there's this invitation that if you have sinned in this way, there is hope. If you have sinned in this way, don't be afraid. God will receive you again. If you serve him, Verse 21, and do, not a tur- and do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For they're empty. So he's saying, y'all were chasing after a human king, not a good idea. Uh, it's empty. It can't profit you. Then verse 22, four. This is why you don't have to be afraid. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. So here we see, like, this is actually the reminder that baptism is a picture of. Like, y'all have been adopted into God's family. God has made you his children, and he loves you. Even when you screw up, even when you do what's evil, God will not forsake you because he loves you, and he is your loving heavenly father. Verse 24. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. And so what I love about this is that Samuel says, look, just follow the Lord. Just follow Jesus. That's what the Bible says to us. If you have failed in this, Jesus says, come to me and I'll forgive you again. Come to me 
serve me faithfully for consider what great things he has done. And the greatest thing that God did was he came himself in Jesus and he offered himself. Jesus suffered in the worst possible way because of the evil kings that human beings put in place when he was alive. Like Jesus knows what it's like to be destroyed by an evil king. And he did that for you. He did that for you. And so, man, so use your vote. Use your vote to remember it's not the perfect vote, to remember to love people that disagree with you. And remember as you vote, remember if you've already voted, remember, think back when you voted and say, you know what? Jesus is my king. And if Jesus isn't your king today, bow your heart, confess your sins to him and he will forgive you. He will enter in. You can become a Christian by saying, Jesus, I'm gonna make you my king. I'm gonna follow you wherever you lead. Let's pray. Jesus, we are sorry. We're sorry. We, we, we have been swept up in the tidal wave of the political season. It is so easy for us to think wrong thoughts and to be deceived by the lie that pervades our country and our culture. Please help us in these next few days and beyond. Help us, Jesus, to live as though you are king by being humble about our own voting, by recognizing the problems that exist everywhere. Help us to love people who disagree with us and help us to do more, to, to take much more effort to love people than we do to argue with them. We pray, Jesus, that your spirit would fill people from all over this country so that whatever the outcome, in some way you would be seen in the midst of your people. In some way your people would be able to put you on display in how we act and how we treat others. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, after the sermon is the time in our service when we encourage you to give and to see your giving as worship. And so in your bulletin, there are giving envelopes. If you're here, uh, if you're online, or if you're here, you can also text to give. You can go onto our website and give that way. And I, I just want to encourage you um, that part of your participation in our church is supporting who we are and what we do. It's, it's giving to God um, some of what you